WV Uncommonplace. This podcast is a variety podcast that houses numerous series to cover mental health, empowerment, podcast framework, and various intimate theories to get to know the hosts. Along with occasional movies, reviews, and dives in pop culture with our event podcast episodes. The Uncommonplace digs into bringing guests on that stories don't fit the mold and are very different. WV stands for the great state of West Virginia and every quarter we cover something in West Virginia. Stacy and myself JR are your hosts so please come along for this venture to Uncommon Place. Not if there's anything in the beginning. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today, it's me, JR. Stacy's away on assignment. She's doing something between Ohio, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, somewhere. Hopefully, she's just not in Fort Worth today. Not a good place to be today. But on a brighter note, we have someone with us who has many titles to their name. And her last name, before we get started, everybody knows I chopped names up. Her name is Gwen Tolios, correct? Yes. And I didn't, I didn't butcher it up. So what we're going to do is we're going to get real nostalgic real quick. We're going to go back in time. And it's this famous question that I ask at the very beginning of the show. And this sets up the show, like many other shows have taken place. The question is, who is Gwen? So Gwen is me, um, <laughs> but also, so I identify as a, a sexual author. So, um, which I know can be I'm new for some people, so if you have any questions about ACE, I, I figure that'll be a topic we go through later. Um, but I am an author from Chicago, so I live here with me, my cat, um, and a whole bunch of plants. Okay, okay. Um, but I am primarily an author, and I tend to write stories that are very character-driven, and I like to have identities and experiences that people might not necessarily see in media reflected in what I write. And I thank you for that before we even get started, because it takes a lot and a lot of fortitude to show variations, to show things, because what we see as a variation, somebody may may not see as a variation, because that's who you are. So showing those variations and being very creative in, in that spotlight is amazing there. So you're an author. An author has a hard job in life. You have to depict a story. So you depict it. You have to describe the story. So that's another D word. And then after that, you have to implement parts of your life into it. So that's an author to a certain degree. That's just my opinion of it. So mm-hmm. what started you on your journey to writing books or short stories? What was the first um, literary device that you grabbed onto? And the reason I ask this, and, and I'm going to give a little filler so you can think about this real quick. This question is pretty hard because when I started actually with writing, I wrote as a kid, but I didn't hone my chops until I was in eighth or ninth grade in creative writing. And the short stories became my, 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 my claim to fame. And the next thing you know, I went on to write short stories that continued on about a story or a fan fiction I wrote about a person I knew. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, definitely got to start also like as a young age, as a kid. I remember writing stories and first grade um and a lot of credits got to actually be given to my parents who refused to let us watch tv so um what else was i going to do with my time it was a lot of reading it was a lot of writing um and then i ended up getting uh very serious about writing i would say early undergrad okay. um so to you mentioned fanfic before so i actually started writing fanfic when i was in high school but when i hit undergrad i ended up joining a lot of um, writing classes. I ended up joining my first writing group at college, um, met people who were actually like submitting and having agents. And so I was like, okay, this is actually something like I've always written. Let's see if I could take it to the next level and then have just been working and progressing on it since then. Um, okay. So let's hone in on something real quick. So you were talking about that you were part of writing groups where they, so you said established writers and people that were, excuse me, and people that were on their way up, that were up and coming they were on their way to publish a book or self-publish or go through an, a person to publish it um so what i want to do real quick is i want to know this what kind of criticism went on inside these groups oh, and, yeah. how, so, and how did you how did you like have a thick skin for it um oh, I, um i think the group probably treated me with kid gloves when i started 
Um, so the professional group, and I say professional very uh, loosely, isn't everyone wanted to be a professional writer um, to distinguish it from like the workshops I had taken classes of in, in college. Um, I was the only one who was college age. Everyone else was usually like about my parents' age or older, really trying Ooh. to pursue this as a career. So I came in very young. You know, like I'm in this group and I'm like 19. I'm like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think in that case, um, they were very kind in terms of how they treated my writing. Um, but everyone got the same procedure. And even now, like I'm still critique groups. It's a very useful group to be in. You get the different point of views. But typically what it is, is you're sharing your writing. So in this first group, what we would do is we would show up and we would read a passage um, and then we would discuss it. So what did people think about the writing? Um, what emotions did it evoke? What plot points might have been confusing? And then it was my job to try to figure out. And it was a skill that I had to develop. Well, how do I take a critique and actually make it useful? Um, so, and I think it was very helpful that these older writers would they kind of knew that I probably didn't have that skill set yet. So they'd point something out and they would explain, here's what made me think that, and here's a potential way to fix it. Um, and then I just kind of built up my skill set from there. Okay. And I respect that. And I'm glad that you were able to get that molding, you know, get yourself formed in a certain way, because not everybody gets a chance to have people above them. Usually it's a bunch of novice around trying to make something happen but yes said... and we most of us were novices and um, by which by which i mean within the industry there was one person who was agented within the group there were several who were trying to get agented and one had decided to just full-on go into self-publishing whoa um, which at the time was really um you know like the kindle and amazon store and all of that stuff really didn't kick off until 2016 2016 i graduated college in 2011 so the Kindle didn't exist. I didn't even have a smartphone when I was in college. They weren't around. <laughs> and so for someone to be like, yeah, I want to do self-publishing, like that was like, whoa, a lot of work. Most of us were in the process of we wanted to find an agent, where at the time I was very dedicated on short stories. So it was physically via the mail submitting to places like Asmonoffs or Science Fiction or Fantasy. Okay. And then when did you get your first big break? When did, when did this happen? Oh, I would argue I haven't gotten a big break yet. <laughs> but um, I would say my first sale uh, was actually to another podcast. So I sold audio rights to a story. Um, and I got that when I was 29. So roughly 10 years after I really started seriously pursuing writing. Um, oh. Yeah, so it took a while. I mean, but there's always things like I was in college. So I had other things I was focusing on. And I was focused on still on building my skill set, getting my degree. And then right after college, um, I kind of had the unfortunate situation where the stock market crashed. So there was no one hiring. So that was also a concern of mine. I wasn't looking at trying to get published. I was looking to get a job and enjoying the Peace Corps. <laughs> so yes. that was, uh, that it was, it was kind of easy to write in the Peace Corps, but very hard to connect with other writers. And so I felt like it, there was no one to help me progress. There was no one to help me get into the industry during that roughly two and a half years. All right, so you spun this in a whole different narrative now. Sorry. <laughs> how did you how did you end up at the Peace Corps? Like how does that happen? Uh, yeah, you just apply, honestly. That's how it works. <laughs> You're just like, I want to go. You fill out an application. They're like, okay, here you go. Um, like there is a little more involvement. Like you have to pass uh medical tests, you have to show that you actually have an aptitude for volunteering. Um, all of my volunteering at that time had actually been through a local literary agency. And so they put me in the education um group. But it really was just um, applying was the easy part. The hard part was actually deciding that I wanted to go and then to convince my family to let me go. <laughs> so, okay. Okay. Because that's right. a lot. Like, did you go to a foreign country? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the main reason why I wanted to do it. So Peace Corps is always abroad, um, but it's always abroad in a country that is asking for aid. Um, so they wanted volunteers anyway, um, which makes it, you know, a slightly better reception depending um, but I really wanted to travel and to be frank, I didn't want to pay for it. When you're a Peace Corps volunteer, the government will pay for your travel. Um, nice. so, right. It's really nice. They'll also pay for all your medical bills when you're over there. <laughs> Ooh, so yeah, you can get yourself in better shape than what you were. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, because you're considered an, a government employee at the time. So, um, you don't get paid a lot. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I really wanted to travel and, 
I really wanted to visit Africa, actually. Like, I have a goal where I wanted to hit all of the seven continents before I die. Um, I hadn't done Africa yet, so I'm like, let's do it. Um, and so I ended up serving in Ethiopia for two years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That had to be pretty cool. Really hot, right? Um, yes and no. Um, I was kind of in the foothills, so parts of Ethiopia is very hot. That was about an hour and a half drive from the Rift Valley. But I was just at the elevation where I didn't have to worry about malaria anymore, which was great. Nice. <laughs> um, but we would also have pretty extreme rainy seasons. So when that hit, like all the roads would flood because they were made out of dirt. Um, but it could get cool, like, you know, 50 degrees. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so you go to Peace Corps, you come back home and you, you start writing again when you get back home. How do yeah. you decide on what type of content? And this is for uh, aspiring authors. This is what we're doing for you guys right now. And this line of question I'm going to give. Um, how do you decide what type of content you're going to write at any certain moment? Um, so there's a few things that go into it. Um, number one is you really should be writing something that you're familiar with the tropes and the conventions of. So I naturally started writing fantasy because that's what I had been doing a lot of reading. Um, I understood what happened in that genre. That was very interesting to me. So it was easy for me to come up with ideas. Um, I definitely started as a short story writer, um, and I still would call myself as primarily a short story writer, though I have had one novel come out as well as um, a novelette. Um, and the reason for that is I just find that tends to be my natural inclination. I am what I call a discovery writer, so I don't plan things out. Like I sit down and I write, and I write in a chronological order, and when the story's done, the story's done. But I'm not coming up with all of these plot points and and trying to figure out where the story's going. So naturally, that just means I end up having shorter works, I would find. It's just how my brain works. <laughs> um, the other thing I have found, especially early on, I started to write as, um, as a type of cathartis. So um, that first story that I sold um, to a podcast, it was a fantasy story. But at the heart of it was actually me trying to come to terms with the fact that while I was in Peace Corps, um, my um, my grandfather had died. And oh, so I had, you know, it happens. He was old. He had had a good life. But what it meant is that a chunk of my family had gone through this whole grieving process without me. Um, and so I came back to find my family almost done grieving. Um, and so some of the situations that I had gone through to kind of like the residual help that I was doing, I turned into a story. And of course, it was the fantasy story because that's just what I was familiar with from a genre standpoint point of view. Um, and so that, especially early on, helped me figure out what do we want to write about. Um, and I have still found that a lot of my stronger stories are those where there's something personally that I wanted to explore or understand about myself. And then it comes out in what I'm writing. Um <laughs> So not biography, I would argue, because it's usually facets of things, and you always want to make things not super obvious that you might be writing about someone that you know. Right. <laughs> um, but that, I think, is a good starting point. Is um, And it's a, a pretty common writing advice, write what you know. But write what you know is not always necessarily like, this is my favorite hobby. It could be just be, this is the emotion that I'm currently struggling with. Okay, I can appreciate that. And all the all the anybody that's aspiring to be an author, take that gem right there and keep that because that's something that can help you along the way. Now on to the question that every author gets asked. When did you hit writer's block and how did you get over it? Um this is a hard question because I don't think of myself as getting writer's block. What I tend to run into problems with instead is lack of motivation. I tend to start writing a project and suddenly I don't want to finish it. Um, And I think I probably don't hit writer's block as much as other authors because I'm not writing really long stories. As a short story author, 5,000 words is long for me. A lot of um, my publications have been like parts of an anthology. And so those stories tend to be between two and 3,000 words. So I don't really have the time to build up writer's block. Um, I will say in some of my longer things, like I do have, I mentioned the novelette and I have a novel now. Um, It was more along the lines of, do I want to, like, what do I want to do now? Um, 
motivation wise, like I just like, sit down and write them to going through it. Um, and in that case, participating in National Novel Writing Month was really helpful. They have like games and activities and you're sitting in a room in a library with like seven other authors and you're like, okay, if I don't write, they're going to stare at me. So then you just like work <laughs> something out and then you can go back and edit later, you know? Um, so that has been very helpful. Um, I'm not entirely sure if that answers your question because I just, oh, I feel like I don't come across it as frequently as other people do. Well, that's good that you don't have the, all of the issues with writer's block because it can um take take certain writers down and authors uh alike so my next question this is a hard-hitting question because this is a question that nobody asks you how do you do self-maintenance i'm not talking about self-care because self-care is something that has been thrown at people so much that people just it, it's like riding a bike people say oh i do self-care i drink half the glass of water and leave the other half for tomorrow so what do you do for self-maintenance when things get overwhelming when um anxious, anxious, uh, things come around and give you a little bit of anxiety. What do you do for self-care or self-maintenance as I call it? Yeah. So it kind of depends. I would say on what's stressing me out. Um, if it's the day job, um, I actually like to just like go for a walk and grab coffee. Like, I know that feels a little weird. I find coffee calming. Most people don't, but I do. <laughs> um, so I'll do that. From a writing standpoint, sometimes that can get really overwhelming, especially as an indie author. Like, there's always that pressure to produce more because that's how you sell more, to get the next thing done or to do this marketing and whatnot. And so I frequently have to actually, like, remind myself that I got into writing because I just enjoyed it. I didn't necessarily get into it for it to be a career or to make money. Um, and so I have to take steps to remind myself. And usually what I do for that is going back to the idea of fan fiction. Fan fiction is a type of writing that I can do that is so low pressure. I can just come into a community. I could write something. I could share something. I get a whole bunch of love um, for me and from the readers. And it just reminds me, this is why I'm writing. It's to have that connection with people versus writing a book and releasing it and, you know, making money from it. So okay. um, I tend to flip between projects very frequently because of that. Um, and then uh, the standard, I would also say, would be just vegging out. Um, I also tend to use watching media as inspiration, jumping off points for a lot of things. Um, so if I am feeling really overwhelmed with something, I'm like, oh, I just want to watch maybe not even a comfort show. I don't do a lot of rewatching, um, but I might want to be like, this is about a trope or a concept that I know I really like. Let's go see a new version of it. Okay. Now... One thing we do on the show, we do a shameless plug. We do a shameless plug because somewhere in the middle of the show, I have like maybe, I think it's like 30 to 100 listeners that pick the show up in the middle for some reason. I don't know why they skip the beginning. And I know they finish at the end because I can see the completion rate. And and like I said, it, it still baffles me to this day. 30-minute show, they come in at 15.01. So when if you wouldn't mind, could you do a quick shameless plug so that people can know where to meet and greet you across the internet and tell them about that amazing website you have? Oh, yeah. So uh, shameless plug is Wentolios is pretty much my handle across everything. Um, I'm not as active on Twitter as I was for obvious reasons. Um, yes. But you can still find me primarily on Instagram. I actually hang out on Tumblr a lot. Um, Tumblr is where I actually will share free short stories. So if you're interested in that, um, my handle there is Gwen-Tolios. Uh, I have a website, um, www.gwentolios.com, where you can find most of my books. You could also just follow me as an author on Amazon or Goodreads, um, same pen name. And every time I'm something new is there, you're welcome to find it. Um, and in terms of products, if I may, um, my current bestseller is a short story anthology called Fade Deals and Other Tales. Um, but then the novel um, is called Returning to You, in case you want something longer. Okay. Now, let's let's go into the book catalog. Let's name off every book that you've, you've written or published. Oh, goodness. Um, in, like, reverse it, chronological order? <laughs> yeah, however, however you want to do it. Because here's the thing. Like, once someone gets on your website or they look in the show notes, because the show notes are always embedded with amazing stuff, they're going to go over, and, and usually the audience, they stay rich in things. They go beyond just the show. So they hit those show notes, and they keep going further with it. So if you could give us, like, a brief description, like, or or, or we'll just do it like this. Tell me a little bit about Stranded. Yes. Um, so, and I actually just like pulled up my Goodreads profile because my website's a little out of date, but all my stuff is there. <laughs> um, so Stranded is 
one of many anthologies that um, my writers group has done. So I mentioned before that I'm part of a few critique groups. Um, I do a lot of short stories. And so this writers group actually goes through every year a workshop. So you submit a story and it goes through three rounds of edits until it gets to this final draft and then we publish that. So Stranded was um, probably my um, the first time where I was involved in this process. So it's always kind of a special work to me and all of the stories in there are around the idea of being stranded. Um, okay. So stranded in time, stranded within a relationship. Um, and to move on from there, I made the most recent anthology the group did, which I'm also proud of because it was the first time I was like lead editor. So I was the one who came up with the idea. I'm the one who did all the cat wrangling. <laughs> um, that's called Denizens of the Deep. And that one is all about um, like the creatures and the situations and that you might find in deep water. So a lot of mermaid stories, um, but there's also a fair amount of stories about like shipwrecks and such. Okay. That's a good vibe there. Now, let me ask you about Today, Tomorrow, Always. Yes. So Today, Tomorrow, Always is um, the first anthology, I would say, that I was um, paid to be in. <laughs> so that's okay. cool for me. So it's not something that my writers group put together. It's not something that I put together. It was actually something that a, a third-party publisher was like, hey, we really like your story. Um, so my story in that, I mentioned before, um that a lot of my stories tend to be cathartic so my story in there is called multilinear memories which is about <laughs> um right um so it, at the time it was um my struggles with a roommate that i had in college okay um, yeah and that's amazing there so i guess my other question is is so they can go to your website they can buy these books um, because one thing that we try to steer away from is I understand everybody's stuff is readily available on Amazon and different places, but just me knowing as a podcaster, knowing what I go through as a content creator also, and everybody takes a piece of the change off. So what is the, the, the most rewarding way for you, for, for anyone to get your books? Is it through your website or where's it, where's it going to so, help you the most? Um, probably at this point, Amazon. Amazon, okay. um, so yeah and I know because um it actually costs money to sell books directly and so I don't have um one at the scale and actually in some cases for the anthologies that I've been in most of my books are anthologies I actually don't have the rights to sell those so oh. someone else is selling them right and then I just get a, a small portion of the sales so okay. things that I actually own and have control over are at this point all of them are on Amazon and I'm suddenly putting them out to other um, other areas. But the difference between what I get from Amazon and what I get from someplace else is pennies. So it doesn't okay. really make a difference. Okay. Cause I was just um, wondering about that. Cause like I hear about the different struggles everyone has like with different content. Cause like if I put something on Patreon or put something somewhere else, I'm giving everybody a piece of the change. And then eventually we just centralized everything. So when you get a shirt from us, it's a limited run shirt. Everything's limited run. So I learned that. Yeah. I, no, I Amazon know. is the best for me. It won't be in the future, but that's an infrastructure that I just haven't built yet. Okay. And that's good to hear. So people, you know where to meet and greet her across the internet. Um, mm -hmm. Just remember the spelling of the last name properly, and you'll be good to go wherever you go from there. All right. So interesting thing, when we look at people that come on the show, because we came after you, we seen this picture you had on this uh, Wonder Woman suit. And you're kind of like stretching up. I about that one, actually. <laughs> and I want to know, where did that come from? Like, what's so, the story on that picture? Um. I mean, well, so I'm in Chicago and pre-COVID, the local planetarium will do like adult nights. So they would do themed nights. And this was a, a superhero themed night. So I showed up in costume. <laughs> um, but the staff at the planetarium actually liked it so much. So they like put me against one of their, uh, one of the backdrops that they have of, um, I I don't remember what the constellation was. They just put me in front of them, their social media manager, like took a bunch of photos and sent them to me. So that's where that came from. But it was a really cool night. Like they actually had some, um, there was some guy who did a tech presentation. It was, a, he called it a spider suit because it had haptic feedback. So it would vibrate as if, you know, you're <laughs> Spider-Man, but he yeah. had developed it as an aid for the blind. Um, so like there's all these really cool things that would be happening at these events. Okay. 
that's cool because I wonder because I picture when you see it, it, it does so much. It makes you wonder what you're doing, where you're going. Your other pictures do the same, but that just that one picture just that's the first thing you see if you you know you when you were searching, you see you there. All right, so now let's move on to this other topic. Mm-hmm. We've gotten down that you're an author, but we the show is called the Uncommon Place, so we always have something that is a different narrative. Not saying that it's anything wrong with that narrative, but we want to understand this narrative. So the terminology that I seen was the word asexual. Now me, I'm a very educated person to a certain degree. We both discussed earlier that I know the scientific form, you know, that we were taught in school. Would you mind um, developing my mind a little bit more and helping me know about this stance or this, or this, I'm not calling a stance. I, I take that back. I mean, on on this uh, movement. Yeah, so it's actually considered an orientation. An so orientation, okay. Just like you have um, someone who is heterosexual, so attracted to people of the opposing gender, you have people who are homosexual who are attracted to the same gender, um, and then you have people who are bisexual attracted to either gender. Pansexual is also broadening that even further. Um, asexual people who aren't attracted to anyone. <laughs> Um, yeah. So it's kind of, we we just don't really experience sexual attraction. It's a full spectrum. Um, so some people don't experience it at all. Some people experience it in very select situations for some people. It's very fleeting. Um, one part of the spectrum, um, is called demisexual. So I feel like this got a lot of, um, gets probably more awareness than anything else is the idea that you only start to feel sexual attraction to someone once you have an emotional connection. Um, so, um, there are different ways of how that works. And then, um, asexuality is usually frequently paired with aromanticism. Have you heard about that? No, I've not heard about that. So the idea, um, there's the split attraction model. So that means when you're looking at someone, you're attracted to them in two ways. One is sexually, two is romantically. So there is that concept that you might be like willing to bang someone, but you don't want to date them. Um, and you could have the Ooh, other way around. Maybe you want to have romance with someone, but you would never want to sleep with them. So aromantic is the terminology for someone who has no romantic orientation. They don't really want to be in a relationship, period. Um, some people who are aromantic might still have sexual attraction. And you could have the flip side. Some people might not have romantic attraction at all. Um, but they're, uh, or sorry, some people might not have sexual attraction, but they still have a romantic attraction. So they want a life partner, but they just... You know, don't want to do anything with them. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I I, I want to. I'm glad the way that she explained it because, like, the the next few questions that I had, they were just they were real simple stuff. Like, um, the only thing like that I wanted to know, like, how does this work with your your mental being? Like, how do you? Because you know, everybody like, where do you develop companionship? Is that do you do you have to have that that companionship usually comes from another human or is it an animal? What kind of companionship? Um, it like- varies person to person, and it depends on what type of level of companionship you're looking for. Like I do have a cat, but I got her because I lived alone when I first moved to Chicago, and I knew no one other than my cousins. And I was like, I don't want to hang out with my cousins all the time. I'm gonna get a mm-hmm. cat. Um. So, but. I have no problems making friends. So in many cases, like, and I feel like there is kind of also this awareness, even within people who are established romantic couples is like, your partner shouldn't be your everything. Like if you lean everything onto your romantic partner, like that's a lot of stress for them. That's a lot of stress for you. You have friends anyways. And so what's happening in someone who might be ace or arrow is you're still having really good friendships. And in many cases, what ends up happening is we're prioritizing friendships over our romantic relationship. So we still have companionship, like, and I would do the same thing with a friend that I might do with a romantic partner. Like I go to see movies, like I go out for dinner, like let's go on vacations. Like it's the same thing. Um, It's just a different experience, I would argue. Um, What you might do with a partner on a vacation is different than what I would do with a friend. Okay. So basically it's just a differentiating of intimacy. Yes. So many people who are ace and arrow lean hard into emotional intimacy versus physical intimacy because we don't want it um and again it will vary from person to person so personally um i do have a romantic attraction so i want to be in a relationship with someone i just don't want to be in a physical relationship with them um and so that does make companionship a little bit hard i whenever i 
stated, like, I have to bring that up pretty early on. Like, that's a pretty huge barrier to a potential relationship. I don't want to shock someone. So um, it's a conversation that happens relatively early whenever I'm just starting to get to know someone. Okay. So now here's a hard hitting question before we get into my other questions. Um, So how does this reflect into your, your artwork? Like you writing, where does this tie in? (laughs) Um, And I, and I say that because um, early on, I I think when I introduced myself, I said, I like to write characters that aren't typically seen as represented. Um, And when I first identified as asexual, um, I immediately wanted to find like people to connect with. And not only that is I wanted to find representations in media, not, I mean, like there's about, they, they estimate 1% of the population is ACE, which sounds really tiny, but 1% of the population also has red hair. So we're more common than you think. Um, But I never saw that, um, saw that representation in media. And I knew that I probably only representation of that would be media because the chance of me finding someone ace in the world was pretty low um so i actually started a book club (laughs) um people came like a surprise um and we only read things with ace rap and then from there i realized what i liked about asexual representation what i didn't like about asexual representation and i wanted to see it done the way i wanted it to be and so i wrote it that's that's kind of what came out of that so that would be the one novel that I have. It's called Returning to You. And it is um, specifically an ace woman and an arrow woman. So it's the separate identities and um, and going through a few a bunch of family drama. But from an ace standpoint, it's how does this work in a relationship when you have opposing needs and desires? Okay. Okay, I like that. And that will be something interesting. I'm going to have to definitely pick that up. Now... A part of the show, we pay attention to journalistic integrity. Uh, growing up, I'm 37 years old. I watched this news magazine that came on Friday nights. It was called 2020. It had Diane Sawyer on there. Yeah, had, John, had John Stossel for the comedy, but it had Barbara Walters, God rest her soul, or however you believe. Um, she was, you know, sometimes I think somebody was ghostwriting her stuff, but she had the integrity. She either made you go to sleep at 11.02 or you stayed up to 11.10 thinking about whatever she's covering at that moment. Diane Sawyer was amazing. John Stossel was funny, but Barbara Walters sent you to bed thinking. She challenged my thoughts. Before I would, you know, Saturday morning hits for cartoons, I would wake up and think about what did I just hear on there? You know, a lot of it was true crime and different stuff, but you know, so oops, sorry about that. I hit the table. All right. So Gwen, are you ready for your 2020 questions? um probably not but hit me anyways all right so here it goes this is real serious so if you need to get a drink or something get get you a drink real quick while i do this little uh monologue so being an author um and having the world's pressure on you um it causes us to sometimes go into places you know dark places sometimes even to places of light that make us stronger make the thing that we're writing or the artistic view that we're trying to portray at that moment even better when was a time with one of these books that you were above and beyond your normal Gwen (laughs) um that is a hard question um I so in in returning to you, one of the characters is Arrow. I do not identify as Arrow. I still really want a relationship. So I went out of my way to make sure that I had a lot of people who identified on that spectrum and like actually read it. Like make sure that I'm how I imagine this goes really well. And that kind of maybe cheated compared to some other authors because I already knew people who were Arrow. Like it's kind of adjacent to ACE. So I had heard these experiences before. I didn't have to do as much research. Um, but I did go above and beyond to make sure that this was this a type of representation that I was doing correctly. I could critique the ACE representation myself, the arrow, not so much. Um, the other thing I would say that I went above and beyond for was the same book. Um, I really also wanted to see some struggles that I feel like people in my generation, so I'm in my early 30s, 
are starting to see and I don't necessarily see reflected in some media. So in this case, the idea of a parent who is having dementia and learning that you have to start caring for them. Um, so definitely done some research into that as to what does this look like? Um, what might be the financial burdens? What might be the emotional burdens? What type of presentations of dementia can I um, show? Um, and specifically, what type of dementia um, can I show where you might not know it's dementia at first? Um, there's the, the standard portrayal of dementia. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something uh, to what I've said before that you don't typically see reflected in media. So that just means you have to do a lot more research. You have to have a lot more understanding um, and try to put yourself in more shoes than you would in a regular story. So a whole lot of empathizing and sympathizing. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So you, so that question was fairly easy. That wasn't a hard one. So everybody has a body of work. Like I have 300 plus episodes behind me. And we've already talked about what I believe returning to you is your crowning jewel from what you just said there. But we all have this one thing and I never like to be negative, but I like to bring up some of the negative stuff because it makes things positive later and probably has made things positive. But what has been a work that you would want to go back in and redo? And the reason I ask you this is because I did an episode with someone and I didn't interview them with the questions I wanted to ask. I was given questions by a PR firm to ask this person and I deviated a little bit, but the episode was shallow to me because it was my first episode. It was the only time that I was a factory. I was a machine and I didn't like that. So I never did it again. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Um, but yeah, you're right. That is a harder question. Um, and I see, um, at this point, I've also just like written so many things. I'm like, what? Um, but I think one of the ones that I might want to redo might be the story in the anthology that you mentioned before, Stranded. Um, so the, my story that that is based off of is um, primarily conversations that I overheard during high school. But I didn't do much research other than that. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I would like to like go back and actually talk to people who have been in that situation. The situation at hand is actually about someone who, um, about a, a girl who really loves hockey, but there wasn't a girls team. So she had, was forced to join the boys team and the kind of harassment that develops because of that. Um, so, which I do think is a very important topic. And like I said, I wrote most of it based off of my empathizing with the characters and my understanding of the situation as I had overheard it in high school versus doing any modern research for it. Um, and that would probably be something that I would redo. Okay. And I can see that because you've got processes now and systems set up to how you do things. And it's like, I got a refined way to refine things. So let's mm -hmm. refine them. Yep. All right. Now on to the next question. And this one, this one's a hard one. This is your Barbara Walters question. All right. So we built on things and we, we've made you more personable to the audience. Now, everybody has a comfort in life. Me personally, myself, when I was a younger kid and I was a bit husky, I used to eat chocolate-covered raisins until they put on 70 pounds. Quit eating them at the age of, I haven't had them since I was 18, I'm 37 now. I did that, slimmed up, became who I am today with the Jolly Rancher size head. But <laughs> with all that being said, I gave up that one comfort. And then I picked up an array of all kinds of things, buffalo wings, whatever, things that taste good to me. So what is the one thing that you had to give up to have what you have today? And, the re and let me get a little bit more detailed in that question. Like another thing, for instance, like when I got older, I could play video games all day long. But I, the podcasting got to a level where we started monetizing and doing more things and it didn't stay a hobby. So the video games had to be regulated to just whenever I can do Twitch. It's fun sometimes, but it's something that I had to give up my dreams of being the professional Smash Brothers player that I thought I was going to be. And now I'm a full-fledged podcaster, media consultant. 
So what's that one thing you had to give up to get to where you are now? Um, I would actually argue might be several things. All right, um, go ahead. So, um, and I spend a lot of time writing. Um, at this point, it is my primary hobby. Um, I spend a few hours a week doing it. And it's not just writing, it's also a lot of the business side of things. Um, so I have to do my own marketing, I have to do my own formatting, sometimes I make my own covers, and so on. And so it means that you obviously have to give up um, other things that would eat up your time. In some cases, um, it might be dating, which I don't care about as much. Um, but I will say it. I have had to scale back sometimes in friendships. I have a smaller social circle now than I used to. Um, cause I prioritize my time with socializing with other writers than people that I might know from, um, let's say, um, my day job, um, okay. or my neighbors, um, things like that. So I feel like I've purposely narrowed down who I'm interacting with on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's focusing in on getting where I am now. Um, and a few other hobbies when I was really young, like I actually dreamed about being an astrophysicist and seeing Whoa. black holes, right? Like, like so far away from what I'm doing right now. Um, but astronomy is one of those things that I really just don't do anymore. Like I used to have binoculars. I had had a trip planned once to um, see a rocket launch. Like, and I don't do any of that. I just wish I could. Um, like I did pay attention to the news that happened recently. They announced the Artemis cast, uh, the crew, um, and maybe I'll do something with the future missions. But at this point, it's going to see a NASA museum every three years. <laughs> okay. So so, um, it's, so it's no going to Orlando and then going down to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Yeah. No? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it would be, I would love to like go to Fort Lauderdale and see that, but I've been to Johnson Space Center, okay. um, which is really good. Um, I've been to the planetarium here in Chicago, maybe once every year, maybe once every two years, um, especially since COVID hit. Um, but like even the idea of like just going out and looking at the stars is something that I really don't do anymore. Um, I don't do like those camping trips. And I mean, in one case, like it's really hard to see it here in Chicago. So you have to go out someplace else in order to see the stars. You have to truly take a trip. Um, I did go see the solar eclipse when it came through in 2022. No, 2020. Um, is that right now? Mm -hmm. 2018 think... it was pre COVID. So I think it was 2018. I think so. Yeah. Um, 2018. I did see the, the solar eclipse, but that was the last big astronomy thing that I did. And that was five years ago. Yeah, that's a yeah, long, it's so been a long I've time. I've definitely given up like other hobbies that I was social with, I would argue, in order to kind of get to where I am. Okay. And I thank you for that. And then the final crowning question, um, and this is the hard thing because we've all lived through this one thing together. Everybody has, and that's COVID. Before COVID, when I podcast, it was nothing like this. Because I'm not one of these people that just jumped into podcasting in 2020 or whenever. I've been here since 2018, actually. A little bit before that. But for me, COVID changed my life because uh, my fiance, we got closer. Like, we watched movies. Like, we, we do all kinds of stuff that we normally wouldn't do. I mean, we pass by time now. Like, it's starting to get back to the way it was a little bit. I mean, we watch some TV together, but... We had set defined times because you didn't have anything else to do in life. Everything was closed and we weren't going out nowhere to eat because we weren't trying to catch that COVID-19. We were in Ohio and Toledo and Michigan in between all those times. And uh, I think Indiana. So when we got locked down in Ohio, we were kind of done. So my question before I go off the rails again is what did you gain from COVID and what did you lose from COVID? Um, I actually think I probably, I mean, I guess you could call it a gain, social isolation. Um, but it was one of those things where I had actually moved into a new neighborhood a few months before COVID. And so when everything shut down, I found myself, um, I wasn't able to like meet my neighbors. I wasn't able to meet friends. I wasn't able to like know anyone in my new community. Um, I'm actually just starting to build those relationships um, probably within the past six, eight months. Yeah. So like, <laughs> because it was one of those things, like I didn't want to go out, um, 
things weren't happening. Like I had a book club, but then we all just met online and many people, what ended up happening is they're like, well, why am I living in Chicago when it's so expensive? And so half a book club like moved away. So then so I definitely gained isolation. I would argue I moved to a new place, couldn't form new connections and the connections I did have suddenly were harder for me to access. Um, I had gained a new level of, um, of fitness, I think, but now that has disappeared. Um, now that I have to go into the office for the day job, a lot of healthy habits that I had established, I can't actually keep up with anymore. I don't have the time. Um, so, which is sad. Um, but you want to know something that I lost during COVID? Like, that's really hard. Like I lost 10 pounds, but then I, um, um, and I like the, uh, I gained the isolation. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Otherwise I'd say like pretty, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. That's, that's pretty wild. So I guess my next question or my last thing to do here is so outside, outside of COVID, you got the isolation, you got a little bit more solitude. And then now you have like the greatest thing that we have now, this new world. It's different. People are a little bit more cautious about stepping outside and doing this and that. And, and that's something that I appreciate because people are more careful. I see a lot more masks wearing than is, is needed. So to tie everything up uh, before we jump off of here, uh, I'll leave you with this quick part. This is the testament about you because I just met you today. We had a little quick pre-call. I never do the pre-call and then do enough. So I like to just bring you on. We'll get the raw energy out there, make the chemistry as we go along. So fortitude is something you have because it takes a lot of that to keep an expression going like writing. Um, the next part of that expression is uh, about your sexuality too, to be brave and to talk about that because nothing's taboo anymore in this world, but people still treat things like cave we have people have caveman antics to what they do so being able to find a community within a community that is your community is an amazing thing and you actually made the community for others that's something that not a lot of people do because anybody can just slap up with discord and say hey just join us over here we might talk but you encourage and you interact with your people so that's something that nobody can take away from you so what i need you to do tonight tomorrow the next day when you get up in the morning, after you get out the shower and you dry yourself off and you put your glasses on, remember that your individuality is spread across to these people and to other people. The influence that you're putting out there is singular, but it multiplies. Some people can't get that factual in their head. They think that they have to reach a ton, a millions of people, but the people that you're reaching are reaching out further. So that kind of effect on people, you can't go wrong with that. You can't do anything to hurt that. You can't do anything to make it discouraging for you to stop doing it. So what I want you to do is keep doing what you're doing in the world because people appreciate it. And you don't always get the pat on the back. You don't always get the the formal um, thank you. But know that there's a proverbial thank you in the world for you. And on that note, that's my testimony for you in a bit of time that I've met you, when So... The last impression that I would like you to leave the audience, if there was a billboard right now in three different locations, I do this with people, it's a little role-playing thing. There's one in Seattle, Washington. There's one, let's see, we're going to do Illinois, but I like Rockford. I don't know. I had a good time in Rockford. Uh, what is the guy's name? Is it Lloyd Weber that does all the that did all the architecture of the houses? Right. Yes, 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 yes. I love seeing his stuff out there. So, you got a billboard in Rockford. It's a nice little community. Uh, it's growing. Then you got another billboard in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. All right. Tell me what all three of these, because that's it. Hold on. We did East, West, South. Oh, no, we did Midwest. So that's the fifth place. We didn't do North and South, but that's all right. Those three cities, what would the difference be in each one of those billboards? Um. So the one in Rockford would probably just be um, 
because I'm in the Midwest, you know how there's all of those like billboards of like personal injury lawyers. So it probably just me like arms crossed in the power pose with my website, like right there. That's what would be there. Um, Seattle would be a lot more creative. I feel like it's a more of an artsy place. So I would probably, um, I think the vibes of the cover of my most recent book, Fate Deals, would probably be that. It's very blue, kind of oceany. I know that there's a, um, so I would just have an advertisement specifically for that book, I would argue. And then, I'm sorry, what would you say the third location was? Baltimore. Baltimore. I don't know Baltimore. Um, you in Washington, D.C.? I do know D.C. All right, so we'll use Washington, D.C. That'll work. Okay, so D.C. is very... Um, I feel like D.C. tries to be progressive, and I would like to be a lot more progressive there. So I would probably actually um, just have a giant billboard to... Um, Actually, I might just do it to Avon. So Avon is the Asexual Visibility Education Network. Okay. Um, so I feel like that is a place where if the people there knew about it, it would have the biggest impact. Um, okay. So that's what I would put in that billboard. Okay. And I thank you for that because that, that gives us a, another way around your mind. I try to get asked questions <laughs> that go all the way around. So I am JR from West Virginia and Commonplace, and I have Gwen with me. Gwen, please give me your last name one more time so I don't chop it up. Because see, I want to say Tolios. 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 So I got it. I had it the whole time. Gwen yeah. Tolios joined us today just as a quick recap. She talked about her books. She talked about her life, different things that she's done in life. And the amazing selling point out of all this is, is that y'all met a human today. You met, you know, hopefully you're an Apple user, but I'll say it. Hopefully you're not an Android user, but whatever. But um, and the only reason I throw that in there is for their audience is always green or blue. So they uh, talk about that. So in uh, finishing everything up, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I need you to do one last shameless plug because we got one listener that likes to come in at the end because he didn't have to listen to the ads or anything or whatever's going on at the beginning. He don't like the intro at the beginning. He just likes the ending, which is the same lady. So nope, could you... Could you please let everybody know where they can meet and reach you across the internet one more time? You can find me across most social media as Gwen Tullios. The exception would be Tumblr, where I'm Gwen Tullios. And if you want free fiction, that's the place to go. Um, if you're looking to look at any of my books, um, you could follow me on Goodreads, also as Gwen Tullios, or on Amazon. Okay. And on that note, I'm JR for West Virginia Commonplace, and we are signing off. Please follow WV Uncommonplace on Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, TikTok where we have some great content, Facebook, LinkedIn, hit up the merch store at onecommonplace.square.site. Join the email list from the website, and rate, subscribe, and give feedback from your favorite podcatcher. And lastly thanks for listening and tune into the next episode. Thank you.